I try not to be too, to have too many kind of judgmental lenses on. But if you want to put me in box, I would say I'm an open evangelical, charismatic with a Catholic sacramental understanding. <laughs> so basically, I'm keeping it broad. The profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Radio. You've joined us for The Profile. Uh, This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony. I'm delighted to say I am joined by the Reverend Chris Lee. Chris Lee has over 170,000 followers on Instagram and he's also the Vicar of St Saviour's Church in Wendell Park, London. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Sam. We always like to start on the show by hearing a bit about a person's early life. Tell me a bit about life growing up. Did you have a Christian background at all? Uh, so it's interesting. I mean, I didn't have um, a kind of a Damascus, Damascus Road experience of coming to faith that some people like they can name the day and the time. Um, I kind of feel like mine was m- much more like in a sense, a natural birth of, um, you know, a period of pregnancy of nine months. And then suddenly something clicks and I'm, I'm born in that way. So I don't have a particular one moment um, time of coming to faith. But I, it was always there in the background. There was always some level of, of faith. My mum's my a Christian. Uh, my dad is, is now a Christian. Um, and so, it, you know, like many people, I think we, we started out as children going to church and then in the teenage years drifted. Um, but I would, I would self-disclose as, as someone who believed in God. But it was, it was really later on when I was about 19, um, 20, that I made the decision to kind of follow Christ and and in a sense the way I viewed the world filtered through the lens of 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 what Jesus would want of me and how I would live my life through the lens of relationship with him so that's when I really see that I became a Christian sure so tell me a bit about what happened before that understand you're pursuing a career in business you're quite successful at a young age weren't you Oh, I was, I wouldn't say I was this or that. I basically, I was, well, I didn't, you had a mortgage by the time you were 20. That's, um, that's yeah, pretty good going yeah, nowadays, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. I, I, well, I finished a degree in business management and then I, um, I got a job and, um, I was working in a kind of property, um, development kind of company and in the area of Northamptonshire where my family lived. Um, and I just finished a, a, you know, a, a, this degree and it was a bit of a tough time for me. I, I, I made a group of friends at university who they weren't nasty guys or anything. We had our fun, but the environment was quite negative. It was the culture of my life at that point was much more hedonistic and much more superficial and didn't leave me feeling encouraged or built up. It kind of left me feeling rather shallow and lacking. And I just didn't know who I was or what I wanted, but I knew that what I wanted wasn't what I had. Even though I had a house at 20, I had a mortgage, I had a career path in front of me. I just, I made this route plan in my life. And I thought if everything was to go, you know, the best it could, and I take over this business in say 10 or 15 years time, and I'm earning a good amount of money and would I be happy? And I just, I just really knew in my heart that no was the answer. Like I had I knew I needed to change. I knew I needed to discover who I was as a person and what drove me. And so, yeah, I, I quit. I quit my job. I put my house uh, on the market for rent and uh, I bought a ticket to 
uh, East Africa to Tanzania, uh, where a really good friend of mine um, was working as a missionary, and um, and he just said, "Chris, you'd love this. Um, you should you should go and do it." So that was <laughs> all the incentive I needed, really. And I, I left, and it changed my life. Wow. So tell me exactly what happened in that moment was this you know, looking back is this where you feel like your kind of faith came alive and where you really took jesus seriously yeah i think so i went i i call it like a, um, a famine to a feast i think like i i i believed in god i i prayed every night i i um but i didn't know any christians and i didn't know what it actually looked like to live in a in a much more you know a christian lifestyle and I was so hungry for it and I didn't realize how hungry I was for it until I got out to this small mission and I'd be woken up in the morning by um, the, the students singing gospel music and they're doing choir rehearsal and, and praise in the morning. And I was like, that was my alarm clock. And I'd wake up to that. And then I'd be in this faith filled environment. And my, I was teaching English um, to my students at the time. And basically everyone owned a Bible and one side was Swahili and the other side was English. So it was really easy to help teach English by reading the Bible because if they found words difficult, they could just look at the Swahili version. So we just used the Bibles to teach English and, and I just gorged on the Bible. I just read it a lot and I fell in love with the person of Jesus. And, and then at the weekends, we were doing these things called confirmation safaris where I was with a bishop and the bishop would preach and baptize and confirm hundreds of people. And I would go and drive and help him out. And I was seeing faith and I was seeing hope and I was seeing real life in this kind of just a real form that I'd never seen before. And um, I just woke up to the fact that this, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And my faith really hit the accelerator and, um, yeah, it was in that period of time that quite quickly I went to someone who is a fully fledged follower of Christ to suddenly thinking, I think I'm called to be a priest, a minister, you know, in the church. So it was kind of a quick accelerator. But I felt a bit like, you know, um, you know, Peter or one of the disciples just kind of fishing, you know, and just doing my life. And then one day Jesus comes along and goes, come follow me. And it's just like, bang, OK, change. In that way, there was that. There was, a, there was a sense of, this is what I've been looking for, and then I'm off. And I just, my life just kind of changed that way, yeah. So, so did, um, did kind of coming back to faith and getting ordained, did it all sort of come at once? It was like, wow, I'm taking my faith seriously, and also I'm sensing this call to, to go into full-time ministry. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to mentalize it too much. I mean, basically, yeah, I had, I had this kind of this lukewarm faith, this faith in God. And I flirted with the idea of, oh, maybe this is a serious thing. But then it was, yeah, it was in Tanzania that it just came alive. And I just suddenly was like, the, you know, the thing that was this slow gravitational pull towards God suddenly just grabbed me and held me. And I went from this is it to I want to give my life to this to I want to, this is how I want to lead my life in terms of serving. This is, this is what I feel my calling is to, to become a, a minister to live like this and I actually really knew very little about the church I kind of my you know we went to Sunday school and things like that but I didn't know you know what it what it generally looked like to be in ministry I just my ministry experience was you know going to communities in Tanzania preaching um, helping with famine relief 
helping with um, sickness, um, things like that. And, and, that, and I just knew I wanted to give my life to, <laughs> to this kind of avenue of serving and, and loving God and telling people about him. So it was quite quick once it happened. So uh, what brought you back to the UK? Was it a question of coming back and doing the theological study and kind of going that route? So actually, in, in the beginning, it was the opposite. I, I really felt like um, I, I, I'd looked into ordination at what, what it looked like in the UK, and it felt quite academic. It felt quite be- getting back into university. And I just had quite a poor time at university. I didn't want to jump back into that. So what, what, it, what it looked like at the beginning was um, doing the, a distance learning degree from an American seminary. Um, and I, uh, I did my kind of training with the other African pastors. Um, and that was great. It was more, I would say, more like um, potentially a Bible college um, degree certificate, if you like. It was thoroughly biblical. We had an exam on every book of the Bible. Um, we had to learn three memory quotes from every book of the Bible. And then um, we had essay questions. So it was quite densely biblical which is really exciting at first and you know really got me in to the to the to the bible in in ways that I hadn't been before and then once I completed my studies over two years I was ordained deacon in the diocese of Mount Kilimanjaro and it was on that it was after that that I served as I kind of served a curacy in the cathedral that we built on site in the in the mission compound which I was in Um, and I served under the, the the kind of canon there um, I mean, this is really, really deep bushland as well. So it's kind of an odd first type of curacy in a way. But then I just, I had to make a decision. You know, at that point, my parents were still funding me. I had this degree in business and I was in a job and in a lifestyle and suddenly I'd left all of that and I'd li- moved to Africa. My parents were like, what are you doing? We what are you just, doing? Yeah. Yeah. We can't just sustain you for the rest of your life. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Um, so I needed to make some big decisions like, so I came back and I um, decided to apply for like proper missionary status because at, po- at that point I was self-funding and I went away with um, a mission agent called Crosslinks and actually they turned me down. They said, they said no. And I was like, wow, all these people are like trying to be missionaries and get sponsorship. And here I am actually doing it. And these guys have turned me down. But it turned out to be kind of, I suppose, a fingerprint of the Lord in, in this in this so-called failure, you know, he brought what he needed to. And so what I discerned was I wanted to do more study. I wanted to get back to, um, you know, maybe some more church history, some, some ethics, some, some learning some theology that was outside of the circles that I treaded water in. So I wanted to do more training. And then what happened was I, um, I got offered a few, I got offered places in, in um, Wycliffe and Ridley and, chose Ridley Hall and, and then um, yeah I came back to, to Cambridge and um, tra- did some more training a uh, three-year Bachelor of Theology at Ridley already ordained as a deacon and um, I remember you know I was I had a two-week period from like eating goat with the Maasai in a mountain to suddenly formal hall in one of the Cambridge colleges right yeah. I was like wow this is so different and I had you know, I had to get over quickly my cultural kind of um, disorientation. And, uh, but I absolutely loved Ridley. I was matriculated into Queen's College, Queen's College, Cambridge. And I did my degree through, through them. And um, I played 
sport for the university. I ended up getting a hockey blue. Um, I, I, I met Jenny, my wife, in one of the in church history lectures in the divinity faculty in Cambridge. And um, I just have really fond memories of that time um, being at Ridley. Sure. So what came next? So after that, I, I was offered a curacy in, um, uh, in Peterborough, my sending diocese. They were sponsoring me, and they've been really good for me, Peterborough. But I just didn't feel like it was right. I, I felt like I, I wanted to get into London. I felt like I wanted... I, I'm a bit of a mongrel when it comes to um, my kind of churchmanship. I would say like I'm an... Op- you know, to put myself in every box possible, you know. I was actually going to ask you about this because to be completely honest, I've been, trying to, I've been struggling to figure out myself to sort of place you... I'd take yeah. that as a compliment, but um, yeah, yeah. you're obviously I mean, quite broad. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm relatively broad. I think I, where I see life, where I see Christ, I just gravitate towards it. And so I try not to, be too, to have too many kind of judgmental lenses on. But uh, the, if you want to put me in box, I would say I'm an open evangelical charismatic with a Catholic sacramental understanding. Wow. <laughs> so basically, I'm keeping it broad. I, I, <laughs> I, I love sacred space. I'm a sacramental person, but I believe in the work of the Spirit. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I believe in trust in the Bible. So I'm all of, I'm all of, well, I'm all of the above, I suppose. Sure. So, yeah, I, I, but basically, I wanted to find that kind of churchmanship. And everyone was like, you're not going to. And you're right. certainly not going to get able, be able to get it in London. So I was a bit like, oh, but I, I said to, you know, I said to my principal at the time, because I wasn't getting a place. Everyone had got places and I didn't have a place. And um, I got offered this place in Peterborough, but I turned it down. It didn't feel right. And then, and I said to them, look, I can't choose a place through fear. I've got to choose a place through faith and I believe I'm called to this and eventually what came up was uh, pretty amazing was um, St. Augustine's is part of the HTB um, sites and St. Augustine's is a sacramental kind of high, it's an Anglo-Catholic church within the HTB right. so I found exactly yeah. what I wanted I, I ended up going to um, uh, it's called um, HTB Queensgate and uh, it's the sacramental service of HDB. So I had the sacramental, I had the kind of um, charismatic services in the evening, and uh, I found what, you know, where I, where I needed to be for a time. And it was great, and I did three years, and you know, like any curacy, there's highs and lows, there's frustrations, and there's things that you learn, and uh, I really enjoyed my time working with a homeless shelter there. I carved that out for myself, and I worked with the, the, the poor there for three years. And then, um, you know, I learned, I learned a lot. And then I got offered the, you know, an incumbent role. Um, well, I, I firstly got off the Bishop of previous Bishop of Kensington, Paul Williams asked me to look after a church in Hounslow for a couple of months, which turned into 10 months, Holy Trinity Hounslow. And I, I looked after that in a kind of, a, it, it, it's vicar got ill and they needed a vicar quickly. So I went there and then um, after that, I, we, we knew that we wanted to go and uh, we needed to, you know, find a carve out of ministry. And that's when I got offered St. Saviour's and actually turned it down. And then six months later, came back up and the bishop again said, would you, would you really consider it again? And, and that time we felt like God made it home. So we came to St. Saviour's and I've been here five years. Now, I understand that um, nowadays some people walk into your church partly because they follow you on social media. They're one of the 
many thousands of people who do and it's been reported uh, widely how you have more followers on Instagram than the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Church of England combined um, and I'd love to come on to talk a little bit um, in more detail about how you think Christians and the Church of England specifically can get a bit better with social media but just tell me a little bit about this incredible journey you've been on with all things kind of social media and digital how did you fall into this at the beginning um because yeah. i understand it, it partly came about through some friends didn't it yeah so um when we came to uh to saint saviors i you know i was thinking about uh i was really nervous you know it was my first incumbency and we asked my um brother-in-law and his wife um his wife is um, my wife's sister and they're great Christians and we, we love spending time with them and they hung out with us a lot. And we just said, do you want to come with us? Do you want to, you know, stay, move in with us? We, got, we get this big house. We were both um, no kids at the time. And um, yeah, they said yes. And my um, brother-in-law, Ollie, he was working on a YouTube channel. He just started it. And um, he and his friend Josh um, came. Josh ended up moving over as well. And they had this YouTube channel called Korean Englishman. And then they subsequently started another channel called Jolly. And they, uh, they, they, they kind of introduced their friends to Korean culture and um, things like trying South Korean food and, um, and um, getting to know what it's like to live out there and, and what the culture is. And, um, and they got the, yeah, they introduced it to their friends. And what happened was basically and um i ended up being quite popular i came on in my collar and people were like oh it's really interesting to see a priest um you know commenting in a kind of in a sense you know the stereotype of a priest is old a bit detached maybe quite judgmental aloof holier than thou i mean that's sometimes the portrayal of a, of a priest and here i am kind of a young guy who's you know engaged and maybe trying to come across at least non-judgmental and people really engaged with it and they found it they found it quite exciting and um i was able to articulate myself relatively well and i started to get a little bit of a following and then i prayed in one of the episodes and that really hit a note with a lot of people and um suddenly my instagram started filling up with all these people following me that had seen me on the youtube and then, and then that grew and grew and grew. And then the guys started a, a, a YouTube channel called Jolly, where they do a particular series with me. And um, the series is on a British priest reacts. So I react to things like um, music videos. I've reacted to Billie Eilish. And we've literally, we released an episode yesterday where I react to a K-pop uh, band called Blackpink. Um, and um, yeah, so I kind of react and talk about it. And again, they just went millions and millions of views. Suddenly we went from, you know, you know, a few hundred thousand to now I've had, I think 350 million views on the videos that I've been in. I've been in over 60 videos. Um, each video is, you know, two to 3 million and some videos have, you know, 15 million views. Um, and I suddenly felt this weight come on me. I was like, Oh my gosh, I am reaching literally millions of young people about the gospel. I'm, I'm speaking about God. I'm bringing in parables. I'm bringing in like stories of Jesus and how he, how he talked about parables. And I'm using them as references to kind of help people understand, you know, the cultural references that I'm seeing in music videos. And suddenly I was just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing, but this is daunting. 
and it became a huge part of my now ministry and I get you know 50 direct messages a day I have 170,000 followers on Instagram um, that means my my impressions a week are over around a million. So about a million, I feed into about a million people's phones every week, and um, and I decided to start on my Instagram a thing called sixty second sermons, where I do sixty second bite sized sermons, if you like, on random things that I just think of at the time, and I just load them up, and I get you know fifteen thousand views in a day, over a couple of days maybe, and um, you know, some of my some of my videos have uh, have had fifty, sixty, seventy thousand views on on these little recordings that I do, and then I just load them up onto YouTube as well, and, and I, I just literally load up the stuff from my Instagram onto my YouTube, and I've got seventeen thousand followers on YouTube, and um, yeah, so it's been a a crazy journey, and then from that, loads of media has come, and I've been on numerous tv programs yeah. it's a fascinating example of how the new media instagram yeah. twitter facebook yeah. is now driving the old media and increasingly yeah. increasingly you turn on the the six o'clock news or whatever and they're reporting on stuff that's actually happened first in the digital space and it's been yeah. amazing to i to mean see yeah that. i mean new media is is taking over it's 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 taken over and actually old media is now and just an older age group of people that watch it in a traditional sense but the, the new media is just yeah it's it's huge it's social media is is it is really the place that people go to for yeah. information for entertainment um and yeah and clearly this this is something you you must feel like you've fallen into i mean you didn't seek this out in any way did you no, not at all. I mean, I was literally asked to come and try some chicken, you know, <laughs> Would you, here, Chris, can you try this chicken and talk about it? So I tried the chicken and talked about it. And yeah. now I find myself, <laughs> you know, a few years later, millions of views, yes. hundreds of thousands of people following. And, yeah. You know, the at, Lord is at, at the same time, obviously, your, your following is continuing to grow. So it's not like you're just still piggybacking off the, the fried chicken from years ago. You're, you're, clearly, <laughs> you're clearly doing things now that is generating... Yeah. more and more people to want to look at your Instagram. So just tell me a little, about, little bit about the lessons you've learned through kind of what works specifically on Instagram, what seems to draw people in, um, and perhaps what yeah. doesn't as well. Sure. I mean, I think the, 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 there's a few things. One is young people nowadays, they're, just, they're hungry for authenticity. They're just looking for people who come across authentic, and it's not like, you know, prepackaged and and uh, uh, and beautifully edited together. They're kind of not interested in that because social media isn't like that. YouTube, most YouTube stuff is kind of thrown together a little bit hat dash, um, and it feels real. And so, the first thing I would say is authentic. And my my Instagram is not cut pay, cut and paste church. So you see a lot of Instagram at the moment from churches and, you know, certainly some of the pastors from America and things like that. They basically have their sermons loaded up on their Instagram accounts. And it really feels like it's just church online. But mine is a lot more, in a sense, accessible to the non-churchgoer because it just looks and feels like the culture that I'm speaking to. It, it's nothing, it's not, a, it's not as... A, you know a, a hurdle to get over it's just some guy who's talking into his phone um and he happens to be talking in a kind of honest way about faith another thing about my instagram is it's not just 
60 second sermons it's quite authentically me as a person and that's one of the insights that i've had about uh instagram and social media and the new you know the new generation rising up is they live in a way online uh in a in a kind of way that i don't think my generation or the ones even ahead um, ahead of me ever understood like we grew up in very much a world where you know my identity is one-to-one -one with people and interactions and physical interaction we, we're now entering a place in society in the world where you people gen, genuinely have real personas online in a way that i don't necessarily fully grasp and i don't think people understand they they can find community through gaming where they share their lives and their stories and they achieve things together with people online they have an ability to sometimes be more honest even online. I mean, there is the critique that sometimes it's superficial and we hide behind it, and there is definitely an aspect of that. But I've also seen places uh, in, in Instagram and social media where people aren't afraid to be more like, this is actually who I am, because they feel very much in control of, of, of the situation and how they, how they can interact with, you know, online stuff so there isn't it's not as easy just to brush it off as it once seemed to be um i think that um yeah like people have a foot in the digital world in a way that um they are living in two worlds and i think that their information their entertainment their social um uh, interactions are as much online if not more now than they are in person and so as the church we need to be asking ourselves how do we invade that space with the gospel? Um, and, you know, the Lord really spoke to me about it. I, I, when I was thinking and praying, like, Lord, what are you doing with me on this? Like, what do you want, you know, with me on this? And I was reading Acts and I really got, the, my, you know, the, you know when the scripture hits you in the face, it jumps off the page and you're just like, wow, this is the Lord speaking right now. In Acts 17, um, St. Paul goes to Athens and he speaks in front of the Areopagus, and, um, and he talks to the people about the unknown God that they're worshipping. And what's really interesting is just before um, he says, he speaks to them, the, the, you know, the writing that we have says that uh, he went to the place where all the nations gathered, where they they shared and they talked about the latest ideas, but they did nothing. And literally it was like, bang, that is social media. It's a place where the nations gather. It's where they share and talk about the latest ideas. And they you know, don't necessarily do anything about it. They're just there. And I felt the Lord say, I want you to do what St. Paul did. I want to stand in this Areopagus. And I want you to tell them about the unknown God in this space. And, and, I, and that's what I did. And that's what I've been doing. And I've just been kind of preaching light and love and hope and Christ into that space and telling a, a generation of young people who often are plagued by insecurity and identity that they're precious, that they're loved, that they are image bearers of the Most High God, and they're not alone. And that is, you know, what I've been trying to do. I've been you know, honest with the gospel. The gospel is that we are loved, but we're also broken, that we carry that brokenness, but that we are precious to God. Um, and that's why he sent his son. So, yeah, I've been, been doing that and it's been really exciting. So can we get a bit of a sample then of one of these 60 second sermons? <laughs> well, I mean... Shall I get uh, my stopwatch well, out? Yeah, yeah, you'd have to give me a topic and I just 
Oh, really? Oh, I can give you a topic and you'll do one on a topic. Well, I don't know. I'll just see what I can, I can do off the top of my head. Oh, okay, great. Well, what's, what's been in the news this week? What can we give you? Well, you're going to be hearing that 60-second sermon from the Reverend Chris Lee right after this. Join us again on The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. Do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the UK church today? Premier Christianity magazine is for you. The UK's leading Christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with Christian leaders, in-depth reporting, reviews, columnists and loads more. And best of all, you can try it for free. Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95 completely free of charge. Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Before the break, we were listening to the Reverend Chris Lee and he was talking about his life and ministry and how he's been doing 60-second sermons on Instagram that have been seen by millions of people. And I challenge Chris to give us a 60-second sermon. So without any further ado, let's rejoin the rest of this conversation and hear what Chris came up with. So can we get a bit of a sample then of one of these 60-second sermons? (laughs) Well, I mean... Shall I get my stopwatch uh, well, out? Yeah, yeah, you'd have to give me a topic and I just... Oh, give... really? Oh, I can give you a topic and you'll do one on a topic? Well, I don't know. I'll just see what I can, I can do off the top of my head. Oh, okay, great. Well, what's, what's been in the news this week? What can we give you? Uh, what, about, what about this lockdown period that we're in of how, um, how weird life is, how strange life has been for three months and how everyone's what? lives completely upside down? Do you want to do something on that? Oh, yeah, sure. So, uh, all right, here we go. I'll get the stopwatch out. Here we go. <laughs> okay, well, you're gonna have to give me a 10 seconds when I get near <laughs> them. Okay, <laughs> okay, I'll put, I'll put that up when you get to 10. Okay, okay, here cool. Here's your 60 second sermon. Over to you. So, 60 second sermon, me, Rev Chris. Um, we are in an alien world at the moment. Um, we have been in lockdown for months, and we have to ask ourselves what is going on and what are we learning? And I think the interesting thing is that we as a people, we have to see ourselves in a bit of an exile. Um, Like the Israelites, when they were taken from um, kind of, they were captured and taken to Babylon, they were in a different culture, in a different world. And and that's what's happened to us. We're locked down. We're in a different world, a different setting, new routines. And we have to ask ourselves, what is God doing? So in exile, what do we learn? Well, we learn to reflect. Um, and we learn to bless outside of our own circles. We have to seek to reflect on where we're gone astray, maybe where the church has gone astray. And also we're looking to look around our neighbours and we're looking to bless the culture in, in which we find ourselves. So see it as an exile and think about what you can learn and how you can love better. Amazing. There you go. That was it. 60 seconds. So I'm very impressed. Just off the cuff like that. I gave you a topic and you did it. Um, I mean, how many of those have you done now? Oh, I don't know. Maybe 60. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I, probably more than that. I've probably... Probably hundreds. I, I, yeah, it must be hundreds. I do, I do like maybe two, two or three a week. Um, and, you know, I've been doing it for, a, you know, I've been doing the 60 second sermons for probably two years, two and a bit years. So, yeah. And I understand that. these are being compiled into a forthcoming book. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Slightly controversial title, perhaps, for Christians. Let's talk a little bit about it. It's entitled The OMG Effect. Um, yes. So these are, as I understand it, these are some of the 60-second um, sermons in written form. Um, yeah. But, yeah, just dig into that title a little bit, because some Christians might be a bit uncomfortable with that. 
Yeah, so firstly, I mean, yeah, Penguin Random House approached me and asked me to do this book, which I'm really excited about and I'm really proud of. Um, it's kind of like a Christian sprinkling on self-help and kind of trying to teach people of their value and their love. So, um, yeah, it's really, that's kind of exciting. The title, I feel, is great because that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm speaking into a culture that uses this language and I'm trying to kind of reclaim it. I'm trying to be like, okay, everyone uses OMG. Um, and this is, a, this is a, you know, kids are all over Instagram and people using it all the time. And I want to be like, yeah, OMG. Okay. Oh my God. Let me teach, let me speak about this unknown God that you keep talking about. Um, and that's what I've, that's what I've been doing. And um, uh, yeah, I, I it, you know, we've got titles on community, on family, on, on prayer, on success on failure, on grief, on death, um, based around 60 second sermon. So there's a little thought and then, and then we, you know, we go on, I go on to, to, to talk more in detail about it in the chapters you use the term self-help just then which is really interesting because some that that term can be used in a positive way sometimes especially in christian circles people can use that in quite a critical way and say oh you know that sermon it's just it's quite self-helpy in a in quite a disparaging way now you you spoke earlier about you want to bring a message of hope of life of goodness but you also want to bring the challenge of the gospel as well is it really possible to do both and and is there a a bit of a tightrope there to walk as a Christian. You want to be encouraging, you want to be positive on social media, but you also want to acknowledge that God does challenge people to live differently and to repent as well. So yeah, tell me a little yeah, bit about I that mean, tension. It is, you know, on my online stuff, it, that is, that is really tough. And I think like there's a discipleship question there. So um, the way that I view what I can do in terms of discipleship with literally you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of people um i can't properly disciple them uh what i can do is i can get them on the path towards discipleship um by take teaching them first and foremost that god is for them that he loves them that he's not an enemy who sits aloof and judges them that he's a loving father who seeks to embrace them um, and I do, I do say that, you know, you're going to carry brokenness, you're going to carry sin, but the, the, what we, what, in terms of discipleship from that point, that need, I direct people to their churches. If I started coming online and just being like, you know, crashing down on this sin or that sin and, you know, why, you know, the reasons in which we are fallen in ways that basically uh, it could be seen as quite judgmental and turn people off. And I've, and I've lost, I've lost any chance of getting them into churches. So the, the way that I feel called to speak to these people is to the starting point, which is, you know, in a sense, the garden of Eden, God saying, you know, I'm walking with you. I love you. And I'm for you. I touch on the fact that we are, are, are sinful um, and that we need Jesus. But I don't go into, um, and I, I've talked about repentance, don't get me wrong, but in, in terms of like calling out, there is a tension sometimes in what I can do well. So how do I follow up a discipleship question if I, if I start, you know, condemning online? I feel like that is a really tricky thing to do. Um, and I think that the key is 
that people need to know the first foundational truth. And the first foundational truth is not that we are sinful. We didn't start in, in Genesis 3. We started in Genesis 1. God created us and he said that we're good and we are image bearers and that we're loved. That is the first uh, place. So I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm trying to make the doors of our church as broad as I can and hoping that I generate people to move forward into those churches. It's in that place and in those places where they will be able to have a, a hopefully a walk of discipleship that will help them when they're struggling, that will teach them that there are life choices that are sometimes tough, but they're not alone and they'll walk with these people in it. And, you know, I've seen just amazing fruit of people saying how much I've helped and how this, how they've been hurt by the church or they felt this or that, and but actually have awakened in them a faith that they once had and they are now pursuing church again. Um, but yeah, I mean, anyone that does the broad ministry that I do can come under criticism and it's probably, some of it is probably fair and I need to hear it and I need to wrestle with it in my own conscience. And, um, and it's not easy, but, you know, I'll stand before the Lord and, and I will happily uh, give my account. So sure. we'll see. <laughs> some, some of what you've just described is, is sometimes termed almost pre-evangelism. It's this kind of concept that when, until you can give someone the message of Christianity, they're not going to hear you unless they actually have yeah. some kind of relationship with you or some sort of reason to even want to engage with what you're saying. And I mm. suppose some of what you're doing perhaps it is, it is bringing in people who, and again, you see this on the comments on your Instagram, people are not religious. I have no faith at all, but for whatever reason, I just connect with Chris and I enjoy following yeah. him. That person, mm. I suppose, is much more open uh, to the gospel than if they'd never, ever, ever come across any vicar who they had the time of day for. Yeah, I mean, you should, I mean, I, my, my direct messages are just full of people who are, who are hurting, who are lost, who are looking for some message of hope and love and acceptance. And, you know, and I, I try and I, I, encourage, I don't, I don't promote my church. I promote church. I don't tell people, hey, come to St. Saviour's. I say, find your church, find your community around you that you can get fed by and um, appoint people in that direction. Um, so yeah, that's, it's just, it's been an amazing privilege. And it's certainly something that I see as part of my ministry, right? It's not, it's not something that Absolutely. I now do. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually in the process of thinking about what I can do in, in order to expand. You know, I've just literally, uh, the other day, a couple of days ago, I sent off an application to the stewardship um, uh, body to say, can I set up a stewardship account and, if I got some, you know, funding, I could probably do like online courses and studies and really, really get that out to a lot of people. So that's what I'm, I'm thinking about as next steps. Yeah. Um, so. What sort of courses would that be? Almost like a kind of alpha type thing or, or something? Yeah, else? I mean, I, I, you know, alpha, I think is great and is hugely successful. Um, and, uh, but maybe, um, maybe I could do more of a social media type of, of course, maybe a little bit less, um, edited but you know the bringing that authenticity that i have that people can watch you know it wouldn't be massively long maybe five minutes that people could share with their friends you know something on prayer something on the bible um you know I, i'm thinking i'm thinking it through at the moment but i'm interested to see mm. if the door opens if i get funding and um um, what could be sure so what have been some of the the downsides of having a large following I, I, you know i think 
if most people are really honest with themselves, especially in places like Twitter and Instagram, if you're being really honest with yourself, there's always a bit of you that just wants to grow the following, have more followers. But it's interesting when you speak to people like yourself, who do have a lot of followers. It's not all a good thing when there's a lot of people following you. I imagine there's some downsides as well. I suppose. Um, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is, there's hilarity to being stopped and asked for selfies and autographs and things like that, which is kind of like a very surreal. The first time it happened a few years ago, my wife and I were walking in Ravenscourt Park and this couple just turned around and were like, <gasps> and then um, we were like, are you okay? And they were like, are you Rev Chris? And I was like, oh, yeah. And they were like, can we have a photo? And I was like, what? Yeah. And then, and then that was like an introduction to it. And it happens a lot more now. So there's a fun part of it. And you feel like, oh gosh, I can, you know, people are inviting me into their lives, which is great. There is a, there is, you know, that you get some negativity, obviously. Um, but that, you know, if I didn't get any negativity, I'd probably be a little bit worried about what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I get some. I think like we have to be more just just bad. quickly on the on the negativity. I'd be fascinated to know who who and what and where. You know, is this is this Christians who disagree with what you're saying? Is this is this non-Christians? Is this atheist? Where does the criticism actually come from, and what are they saying? So, um, some. I mean, it, you, it's a, it kind of a mixture. There are there are some Christians who um, ve I very rarely. I'm actually really excited by the body of Christ that I've seen online. I haven't had too much. I've had a few people that have said certain things and and um uh, 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 and disagree not necessarily disagreed but basically you know um pushing boats and and then having arguments on my comments with other people and not necessarily being helpful by their comments on my instagram so that's been quite tough and trying not to engage with that and what we you know there's a general principle that you don't feed the haters mm. you know you kind of you, you just let them be and I'm not going to get into theological discussions on my comment section while some people do. So I kind of steer away from that. I, I've had, you know, just obviously young, young, bored teenagers who, who are saying negative things and call me this or that and the other. And, um, and then I've had some people um, sexualize me in ways and, and talk about, you know, how naughty or whatever I am or some, I don't know, just weird things that you're just yeah. like, okay, this is the internet. I'm going to get some of this. Yeah. Um, the, the more, the things that have hurt me um, are where we've been hacked. Um, people have shared our church services from zoom online. Um, and um, we had, we, we had to be a little, we had to be a lot more savvy about our security when it came to our zoom meetings on church, because we were getting targeted by people who were trying to get into our services and put images up. And we had sadly one time where someone did get in um, and, and do that. And, you know, at the time I was like really calm and we just dealt with it quickly as we could. But after the service, I felt really affected because yeah. I felt as if a wolf had jumped into my sheepfold and, and run a little bit of a muck. And I, I, I it actually hurt me more than I thought it would. Cause I felt like, you know, my congregation here are precious to me and I'm their leader and I'm their shepherd in a sense. And I just felt really like someone had just a thief had run into my, my sheepfold. And, and, you know, and so I, you know, had to reflect on that. And, um, and then we, we made the steps that we could to make sure that our stuff is all private now and invitation only. Um, 
so that's that's what we've done and and you know security wise at church like i said i don't promote our church because i don't want to suddenly have a thousand people come um to and then that might sound really strange because <laughs> like most people any instagram pastor that i follow they're like hey our services are at 10 and 5 come down and da, da, da. and to be honest i don't do that because it would it would swell us we would get a lot more people coming but um it wouldn't necessarily be the right way to build our community and We're back to that authenticity again aren't we yeah and and we have you know people in our church who would suddenly feel like are these real relationships yeah. and what's going on and um we have grown and uh, we do we still do get plans coming um when we're alive and you know i i have to say you can usually spot them they come in and you know i say hi and their eyes kind of go oh my gosh and, <laughs> and sometimes they're quite over and open and i'm a really big fan and i and i'm just i'm fine you know i'm just like okay you know just so you know you know there's no photos in here please don't um ask people for photos in here um, if you'd like a photo, then at the end of the service, I'll come outside with you. Um, but please, this is a sacred place. Yeah. And, and you know, there'll be people in my church who will, they, they will recognize. There's other famous people that come to my church. Um, and, and we have to protect them as well. So mm. we just, I just try and people that walk in, I just, they just know, okay, look, you can come. You're welcome. This is a church. It's open to you. But this isn't, this isn't concert. This is church and sacred and so please honor that and so that's what we have to do um which is fine so let's talk a little bit about um the wider church of england i said at the beginning you've got more followers than the church of england account or the archbishop of canterbury's account um when people hear headlines like that i imagine the default reaction a lot of people is well the church of england is clearly doing something wrong when it comes to digital with the greatest respect to chris you know he's not he's not a famous priest but he's got masses and masses of followings the archbishop of canterbury is far better known than you are so what's going wrong with his social media is is that the way you see it as well uh no i mean (laughs) it's funny i think generally the archbishop of canterbury everyone knows that name but like with new media um you know the stuff that gets put out there by the youtube and anyway let me not go down that route should probably just edit some of that out because my argument would be that you know on new media my name now is known more than the archbishop but i probably don't want that online because that just sounds really a bit arrogant but um, <laughs> well, i know you don't mean it in an arrogant way it's just it's just what's it's just what's happened but, yeah but, but, but I, what I, would be your 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 position on the church things instagram i think the digital media? team the digital team have that was set up about five years ago um, they, their capacity was doubled, I think, just over a year ago. So the Church of England is recognizing that, um, that this, is a, this is a platform that they need to be engaged in. So there is some work going towards what's going on. I think that um, they, they, the top-down strategies are always going to be difficult. They're always going to be difficult for a younger generation. Um, it's always hard to generate from the top-down uh, energy and kind of um, authenticity know, uh, authenticity it's, it's hard so they're, they're working in a way uphill yeah um, I, I think like basically with covid and lockdown all of us have been thrown into a new world and we, the church of england has been in a sense you know slapped in the face woken up to the digital revolution that surrounds us and that we cannot now not be engaged with it and what have we found? We found 
much more uh, engagement uh, through these platforms that, you know, people, one in four, I heard, uh, I've attended a service. Um, the most kind of searched uh, Google online during the beginning of COVID was how do I pray? So people are hungry and thirsty and online services have met a need um, where, you know, open doors come to church on a Sunday sometimes haven't. Now, we are now changed and we're living in, you know, as the classic new normal. And I think that going forward, everyone is going to be looking at hybrid where you're like, okay, look, church is going to be Zoomed or online like this. Um, and our services are, you know, normal services will be like this. So I think we, we now, we're just changed. There's no, there's no kind of just going back. And I think the churches that just go back will eventually slowly, you know, dry up, dry up. Um, um, so we need to, we need to be engaged with where culture is. Um, I think, you know, the message stays the same, but the way we deliver that message changes with every generation. And we're now a generation that is digital, that is online, that is expectant of immediate information. We're also changed by the way that, you know, everyone can get good sermons online. Like all you have to do is follow or find a preacher you like and sermons are online. So what does that, what does that teach us about uh, the way that we think about church and the, the modules and the kind of structures that we use for church, which are sometimes seen as like, you know, classroom and club. So classroom, <laughs> if you go along, you're taught something and you sit there and you listen and then you leave like a classroom or club. You go along, you have lots of fun and you do an activity together. So they're the two models that we always use for church. So what, what does church look like in the next 50 years? And we need, we need to be thinking about what it means to be a Christian and think about kind of what I would say is maybe more along the lines of orthopraxy, which is like our practice as Orthodox Christians. What does that look like day to day? And it doesn't necessarily just mean like Bible study on a Tuesday, church on a Sunday. It means living authentically throughout the day in a way and how do we as church leaders cultivate that in a, in, in a way that really grips and takes hold? And does it mean changing our models of church? Does it mean having more of a, you know, a, um, a, I suppose like Teze do their, do their, they once a month or once a quarter big gatherings. And then they have more of a, a identity um, of, of what it looks like to be a Christian. I, I started a, an organization called Young Franciscans, which is, helps young people live under a rule of life and by a rhythm of prayer. It's inspired by St. Francis of Assisi, and it's a kind of a new monasticism. Yes. I, I just wanted to ask a bit about the, the new monasticism stuff, because um, often those Christians, those Christian leaders who are really into that way of living and are advocates for it like you are, often those kinds of Christians um, can not be so open to social media. I mean, I, admittedly, this is a little bit of a generalization, but even so, there are plenty of church leaders, parts of the church, talking about things like digital detox, saying actually for your own mental health, your own well-being, switch your phone off for 24 hours once in a while, it will do you good. Um, yeah. I don't know what, what your feelings are on something like that. Is, is that a practice you've done? Do you see that as relating to, uh, to monasticism and to that way of living or, or not? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what is the, the old Greek kind of um, everything in moderation? Definitely, we have to... You know, I, I promote stillness. I promote contemplation. We practice centering prayer as young Franciscans. Um, I'm all about that side of it. 
that doesn't mean you know picking up my phone is an evil thing it just means that i my outlook has to be affected it's a kind of it's a it's a it's a way of viewing the world that needs to be changed and so you know if i wasn't on on social media um i could be like binge watching the news or or netflix or i could be um you know, maybe making an idol out of my body and hitting the gym every day, or you know, there's the, the you know, what is the, you know, we, we're called to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Let's not just make one thing the enemy. Mm. The enemy can use anything to get in. So we we need to have an outlook that says, how do I look holistically at my life and live it in maybe a more contemplative way, and that means just putting into practice good models of living so you know get your five minutes or 20 minutes silence in the day when you can having some kind of structure you know i've got a rule of life that i try and commit to live by and i think rules of life and that way of living are probably on the up where people are engaged more with an understanding of what it lives means to live by a sort of rule of life like principles that you try and live by um and um so yeah i i don't think you know endless scrolling tiktoks facebook twitter instagram you know those things will fill your life if you're not careful so it's not just about saying no to those it's about saying yes to my life and saying how do i put practices in that i don't get dominated by everything but my priority is still communion with the lord and that comes through prayer worship scripture yeah um, and relationships so yeah but i wonder if it is possible to kind of balance it because it sounds like you're sort of saying well as long as you get the time with god time in scripture that's going to really help and then you can use social media is is it as simple as that because everyone i know myself included who uses social media my attention span has suffered dramatically in the past 10 years you mm. know you have now you know I, I see it myself i'm watching a tv show and it's pretty engaging, but within 10 minutes, I'm looking at Twitter and I'm doing the double screening or sometimes triple yeah. screening. You know, yeah. do you, do you worry about that at all? Um, I think it's certainly changing the face of, of church. Um, I think 40 minute sermons are just not going to last because if you ever been to a 40 minute sermon, basically what happens is they say the same thing. Um, and you know, the funny thing is, right, I, I, I can watch a film for an hour and a half because entertainment is keep me focused. So there is an aspect that I can keep focused on something if it's engaging in entertainment. So I wouldn't want to say that, oh, we're, we're just done now. Um, but I would say that realistically, let's be realistic, uh, you can get decent thought and teaching uh, in 12 to 15 minutes. Like, I don't think you need half an hour sermons, 40 minute sermons to do that. Some would say you've proved that with your 60 second sermons. In fact. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, it, and it's working. Let's be honest. You know, what, see the fruit. Know the tree by the fruit. There is a, there's fruit here. So um, let's just name that. But uh, I, I think like, um, yeah, I, I, we just need, we need to, we need to be aware of, um, it's communion with the Lord, prayer. Those, those things are essential to keep us on an even keel. Um, and those always need to be taught. Those always need to be adhered to. There's no, there's no in a sense, shortcut to relationship with God. You, you need to spend time in 
prayer and contemplation. And if I don't do that, I miss it. Yeah. And I, I get more flesh-based. So I, that, that, there are apps to help as well, right? There are, <laughs> there are apps to help. There's like, you know, Lectio 365, which is a new one um, coming out of like Thy Kingdom Come and 24-7 Prayer and stuff. And Pete Gregg, who's amazing. Yeah. So there are things like that. That uh, yeah, uh, the way this is what we need to do. We as a church, we need to be invading these spaces that are so dominated so much of the time by money or sex or power, um, and we need to be saying there's another way, guys. And yeah. that doesn't mean us turning aloof and running. It means us saying actually no, we've got something to add here. And I I do think that the the younger generations are waking up to to a spiritual reality. And I, I, I feel like the more and more we, we, we look into the future, the more and more people are going to be searching spiritually. Um, and I think what will, that, what will that bring will be more hunger and openness, but possibly more ability for deceit and, and failure in some ways. So this is the time, I think, for us to get the nets. Um, you know, and it feels like you know, we've been fishing for a while and Jesus has come along and he said, nope you got to throw that net the other side. And now we're seeing the nets get filled. And so with digital revolution, so we just need to be doing it. I, I love church. I, they will never replace going physically to a sacred place, gathered to worship God together. I mean, right from the beginning, Jesus, God, you know, God causes people out from Egypt to worship him. As we're called to do that. Um, and that won't be replaced. But what that looks like, I think, we don't necessarily just have to accept it's, you know, three, four hymns mm -hmm. with liturgy or it's four worship songs with an intercessory open prayer. And, you know, what does it look like? I don't know, but I think we are going to be, we, we have to be not fearful, but expectant and excited about how we lean into this culture in the next 10, 15 years. So, that's a very thought-provoking place to leave it. Reverend Chris Lee, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Hey, thanks, Sam. Bless you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Profile Podcast. It's been wonderful to have your company. I do hope you enjoyed those various insights from the Reverend Chris Lee about his life and ministry. If you did enjoy the show, we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. It really helps other people discover the show. So please do that now. I've been Sam Hales on The Profile this afternoon. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine. You can read this interview in this month's edition of the magazine, plus loads of other great articles, news, features, reviews, and so much more. I particularly enjoyed Chris Llewellyn's column this month. Chris is the lead singer of Rend Collective. He writes for us every month, so why not check that out as well? It's all in the latest issue, and you can get your hands on it for only £4.95. It's less than £5 a month to subscribe now. So if you want to take advantage of that offer, head to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. That's all we've got time for this week. We will see you next time. Take care.